Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. Howdy. Good morning. Happy extended summer. Yes. It continues along. Yeah, I'm trying to fit one last Belgian ale in there this yeah. weekend. So Let me we got tell the you, weather for it. The, uh, the, the extended summer isn't always a good thing. I would mentioned I was going to go to Vermont for a couple of breweries and a Vermont trip, that's all in the past. Did that, had a good time. Uh, one disappointment, not the beer, the foliage. There's you didn't get it, right? still tons of green. Well, I noticed we got that cold snap. So about half the leaves in my backyard changed, dropped to the ground. I'm like, all right, I'm waiting for the rest of them. I'll go out there. I'll get it in one load. No, nope, there's there. still green ones up there just hanging out, yep. teasing me. So we had a chance to go to Long Trail, Harpoon, Switchback, uh, Queen City, which is one of, what, 50 queen cities in the world. Every, yeah. every, every city claims it's the queen city. So I uh, had a good time in Vermont, up to Burlington, and uh, Von Trapp as well. You ever heard of Von Trapp? Yes. That's like the Von Trapp family, whatever, yeah, yeah. That, that very famous family. They have like what looks like a giant ranch-ish kind of thing up on top of a hill right near Stowe. Uh, all German stuff, German lagers, pilsners. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, walk in there. You're not about to get an IPA. It's all German, all yeah. authentic stuff. So pretty cool. Yeah, Good and it makes a point, state. too. You see a lot of cities claim to be the queen or sister city. You don't see a lot of cities claiming to be the king city. No, and that's because, isn't that because most of the time the queen city means either, I think it st- stems from being the second largest city or being the largest city that's not the capital. Oh, okay. I, I, so when we were at Queen City Brewery in Vermont and asked the girl about that because I know um, Cincinnati says queen city. Mm-hmm. It's not the capital, right? Yeah. Columbus is. And is it the biggest, at one time, the biggest, who knows? Uh, Charlotte says Queen City. Yep. I think Philadelphia sometimes randomly throws out Queen City. Yeah. Like, you've got like 10 or... We do, too, well, as well. Of course we do. Yeah, but then he, what you said, we're, we're not the capital, true, but we're not the next biggest city. But at one point, we might have been. Yeah. That's the thing. Is Queen City the kind of thing... I'm going to look it up while we're doing this, and I'll give you the answer sometime later in the show. Uh, Queen City. Well, the first... <laughs> I've got them all here. Buffalo... Burlington, um, there's a ton of them. Montreal, Toronto. Oh, well, they both get to be the Queen okay. City, apparently. Uh, there's places in the Philippines, Anchorage, Allentown, Bangor, Maine. I mean, just holy cow, there's a lot of Queens. Denver. Denver's the Queen City yep. of the Plains. Maybe you didn't know that. Yeah. We, there should be a Queen City Games where all these cities get their athletes together and we compete for the title of the actual Queen City. Sioux Falls, South Dakota claims it's the Queen City. Selma, Alabama. Lots of claims. I'll tell you. Anyway, so it was a good trip to Vermont, and uh, I did not bring back any Hattie Topper. I did, we didn't even go to the Alchemist. They're not Ooh. open on Sundays. That's tough. That's tough. I know. We'll go back. We've got a wedding next year, so I'll, I'll get my chance at the Alchemist and a couple of the other spots. All right. Anyway, last week we talked about how to fix an infection, so if you are uh, someone that thinks you might have an infection or you want that knowledge, uh, drop by the on-demand audio portion of our website because that'll be there for you, uh, e- either ESPN 1520 or WGR. We're going to get to American Light Loggers today, but before we do that, uh, coming up quickly in just a couple of weeks, we've got Learn to Homebrew Day, and you guys have tickets on sale. Yes, we do. We have tickets now on sale for the beginning brewing class. And so we're doing a beginning brewing class at 11 a.m. <clears throat> goes to about 1.30, um, and that's $20 online. You do need a ticket for that. At 1.30... When the class is finishing up, we'll start a tasting and a brewing demo. So basically, we'll crack some beers, 
We'll start making all grain. If you have some questions, come hang out. It's very interactive. You know what I mean? If you want to add my hops, you can add my hops. You know, mm-hmm. it's we'll say an open demo. So if you've had questions about all grain, if you're thinking about getting into home brewing, we have classes for each of those. So if you're looking for the beginning brewing, sign up online. If you're already a brewer and you're kind of thinking about making that jump into all grain, or if you're an all grain brewer that is having problems, or you like to drink for free beer, show up at one thirty. Gotcha. All right. So show up one thirty for that tasting and demo but tickets for the beginning beginning brewing demo on sale at nthomebrew.com uh anything else in store we need to know about what's back in stock what's we still high have in stock, galaxy we still have nelson savin those chapman stainless steel fermenters that we were talking up a couple of weeks ago have sold out and they're back ordered so we are kind of reserved on those if you want to put one aside you know we definitely can do that for you um but that's about it for right now Okay. We have the new parts for the Fermonsters. There's some other new fermenters that might be coming out. Fast Ferment is teasing about a 15-gallon plastic conical. Really? Yeah, which is under $200, so I think that will attract a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at acquiring another fermenter myself because of that. But the 15-gallon is nice for a lot of those brewers who want to do you know, 10-gallon batches. It gives you the headspace you need. You can pull your trubs so you don't have to rack it into a secondary fermentation. It's going to be able to take a little bit of pressure so you can flush it out with CO2. So you're really going to have all those advantages of those like you know $600 stainless steel conicals um, for less than a third of the price. Very good. Oh, yeah. Good deals. Cool. Uh, also, full-service wine and cider making. I know it's uh, usually that time of season. Maybe you get more of a, wine, a cider Definitely. season. Definitely, this time of year. Yeah. And but, one of the reasons we're talking about it so much is we see a lot more cider and wine customers in these couple months than we do beer. Um, you know, We still see our you know core of all-grain brewers, especially those guys who are brewing for football games or tailgating and stuff like that. But we also see a lot of winemakers, and we have everything you need for winemaking. We have you know borderline commercial and some commercial-sized you know, fermenters, crushers, de stemmers, presses, um, but we also have stuff for the, you know, fermenter who's only doing small batches. So if you're just doing gallon batches, yes, we have a crusher, we have a press, we have a fermenter, we have all that same stuff for one gallon that we do if you're looking to do 30 gallon batches uh, and just about every size in between. All right. Very good. So today's show, we're going to get into American light lagers, Yes, which just by name sounds super boring. Kind of. I guess most people are turned off. You're thinking, okay, this is a craft beer show, the whole craft beer movement, get away from light lagers. But it's, you know, written into our heritage. And and it can be a very fun beer to brew because there's some certain advantages to not using a lot of ingredients. Um, Keeps it easy on the pocketbook. And one of the other reasons it's a fun beer to brew is if you're going to serve it to people, you're going to have people who had no interest in your beer before. As soon as you tell them this is an American light lager, they're going to try it. And that's kind of the first step into the door was craft beer, something that's familiar but tastes a little bit better. And so it's a good way to kind of trick people into liking craft beer. Mm Mm-hmm. So All we'll right. start out a little bit on the history, and, and, and we have a great, you know, beer scene right now in America. We have, you know, tons of variety, um, and we kind of just came out of a very bland, we'll say, era in American brewing. Um, but it always, you know, hasn't been that way. Before Prohibition, there was a wide variety of beers available in the United States, with many small independent breweries in operation. 
Um, while styles like, you know, you know, European lager and pale ale and porter were readily available, there was also American styles being born. So you have like American wild ale, you have Cascadian dark ale or black IPA, and you also have like steam beer, cream ale. These were all American styles that became popular as, you know, our population began to grow. But the ingredients that were available looked very English. What makes a steam beer? A steam beer? Well, really, if you go back to steam beer, you can trace it all the way back to anchor steam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every beer that's called a steam beer is really taking some um, kind of, we'll say, inspiration from that beer. And they actually have that term, steam beer, coined. It's actually the name, Anchor Brewing Company's Steam Beer, like steam-powered engine. And so the style is actually named after the original beer. What is it about it that makes it? They use a hybrid lager yeast. Okay, I was going to say which is really special. So we kind of get longer into the show. At the time, them using hybrid lager yeast, and I think climate had a lot to do with it. being in the you know the northwest coast. They had very consistent temperatures. Not only did it never get below freezing, you know, in the winter, but it also never got really hot in the summer. It never breaks like seventy degrees, and so that gave them a little bit of advantage with their fermentation over a lot of the other American brewing companies, which is why you saw English yeast. And English ingredients, partially because English was our, you know, largest trading partner, you know, after the revolution, but also because those were the ones that were seeming to take the best here. Um, And so a lot of times, especially when we get to the mid-19th century, you had Eastern European and Central European increments really beginning to come in mass. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for these kind of, you know, pale European lightened alcohol beers that they had uh, really become familiar with back home. But the ingredients that were available here didn't really lend themselves to those styles. I mean, we think of some of the greatest maltsters really in the world, and we go to central Germany. We think of like, you know, brewing science and like, you know, pH, uh, gravity, um, you know, microorganisms. We're thinking of France and Germany and, and kind of stuff there. So the six row barleys and the kind of hops that were available didn't suit these kind of Eastern European beers. And so that was a dilemma. You had a a large, significant part of the population that didn't have a beer that really suited them. Mm -hmm. And so American brewers and partially these immigrants as well made that happen. But it was was really hard. Again, English hops, six-row barley instead of their more accustomed two-row Pilsner malts and pale ale malts, um, these delicate kind of pale European lagers that were really based around these not only malts but process just weren't working so to make the kind of american light beer what the brewers began to do was to mix the six row barley with adjuncts particularly the big american crop of corn to try to bring the beer back into balance so the six row barley had a lot of enzymes a lot of proteins and a lot of tannins and so when you tried to make it into a traditional single malt like say you know pilsner um it just didn't hold up it was tannic you know it was really you know fruity and it didn't have that you know good like kind of toasty husky quality that we associate with those beers which while mild a flavor still kind of predominantly comes through and these ingredients just couldn't do it so these new brewers kind of had to deal with not only the ingredients but that also american breweries lacked the kind of central european ability to cold store or lager their beer so not only did they not have the ingredients that they wanted they didn't have the temperatures that they were looking for um again kind of one of the reasons why anchor steam you know kind of had it a little bit easier 
Um, so they wanted to create a beer that was light, wouldn't hide off flavors, um, it would be easy drinking around 5%. But because lagering wasn't an option, they couldn't use their, you know, estery, fruity, you know, Eastern European Pilsner yeast and ale yeast to try to produce this beer because they couldn't lager those flavors out. The beer would probably spoil in that time before those, you know, kind of phenols, before those esters would go away. So they were really kind of stuck in a bind. They wanted to be around 5%. They wanted it to be balanced. Um, and they didn't want it to kind of have any single you know, flavor that took the forefront. And so when they tried to put this all together, what did they end up getting? Jenny Cream Ale. <laughs> and, and it's really, if you look at it, that's historically one of the classics of the style. Yeah. Um, these beers kind of intermingled with the other beers popular in the American brewing scene until Prohibition. Um, and then obviously I think we all know what happened in Prohibition. A very diverse brewing scene just disappeared. Um, only 20 breweries actually survived that short stretch of prohibition. Um, these breweries were able to do that by kind of switching over their production line. Obviously, we know they produced a lot of malt extract and extracted sugars for grocery store shelves. They also did canning for the war effort and World War I, but they really were struggling to try to find a way um, to kind of keep themselves in business. And a lot of them uh, went out of business. And we can kind of think of a few that still exist today that actually come from that. So we, Genesee Cream Ale, was I think 18, 1870, okay. somewhere around there. Around the same time, you also have Anheuser Bush, you have Miller Coors, um, you also have Anchor Steam Beer has been around since pre-prohibition and Yingling Lager. And there's a couple others that are out there that would say classic to pre-prohibition. Um, and the one thing I think is always special about uh, Jenny is they've actually stayed true to their original recipe. Anchor Steam Beer got kind of revamped Upton hops, um, you know, Upton quality of malts somewhere in the 1960s where Jenny Cream Ale has stayed true to its pre-prohibition formula. Whether it's a good thing or a bad yeah. thing, be proud the next time you're drinking one of those, you know, yeah. uh, cream ales. Um, but so, okay, only 20 beers or breweries survived. And within a year of Prohibition, there was about 300 breweries back in operation. Um, but it really, I can't say how much the temper movement stressed the U.S. brewery scene. We think we have a lot of breweries now. In 1870, there was 4,000 brewing companies with 38 million people in the country. So that puts one brewery for about every 9,500 people. And we think we're 2016. Here we are. We're at the epitome of the American brewing scene. Well, we have 5,300 breweries, but a population of 323 million. So that puts one brewing company for every 61,000 people. And people keep talking about if we're hitting the craft beer bubble. Um, without another prohibition, it looks like we got about five times the gross left. And I know that doesn't quite ring true, but we have actually had more breweries per capita in this country before now. And we're still trying to get back up to that level. And, and really, when you look at kind of the American brewing scene, we have to say that we're probably the most diverse. And I think it's, it's easy to say the most diverse brewery market in the world. Um, you can get all of the traditional European styles as well as beers from South America and Asia. Um, but we also have a plethora of our own styles now that probably outweigh just about the number of styles coming out of any traditional region. Mm -hmm. If you look at the BJCP category, there's like five different sections of American IPA. 
and not one of those, let's say, yet is New England IPA. So there's more coming. You know what I mean? You have California Common, like we're talking about Aiken or Steam Beer. You have a lot of kind of traditional American beers that have kind of come out since then. So we can expect more growth. And I think we can expect more diversity, and I think that's a good thing. And we're already the most diverse beer scene in the world. Well, on to how to make a American light lager in the next segment and why it is fun to do, even though you might not think it's the uh, sexiest style. We're going to prove you wrong. Yep. That's up next here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Bert took out the whole rundown on the history of American light lagers and the uh, American beer scene, American beer history. So why is making an American light lager so much fun? Well, it's going to be so much fun because now you know the history behind it. And so whenever you know the history behind something, you have a little more respect, a little more admiration for it. And it's also fun because you can adapt this kind of history to make your own version. You're an American brewer. Mm-hmm. You're making a light beer. So I say it's an American light lager. And it's classic. Um, and I think it's a classic thing to make the beer out of what you have. So you can easily adapt to a more um, modern recipe. You could make a quick, like, you know, one that would do wonderful at competition. You go six pounds of six row, two pounds of corn, quarter pound of some type of, you know, dextrin or carapils, you know, three HBUs of Fuggles to bitter, a tiny pinch at the end. You can use, you know, just about any ale yeast, and you will end up with a wonderful beer that will probably do really well at competition. But that's not as much fun. Um, Better idea is do what they did. Take what you have available. What do you have left over in the basement? You need about six pounds of some type of base malt. You need two pounds of whatever adjunct. Could be wheat, could be spelt, could be uh, rye or anything like that. And then you need a little bit of some type of light crystal or dextra malt. Whatever you have around. Carafoam, Belgian light crystal, whatever you got, you can use it. And then three HBUs of anything to bitter plus a pinch to add in at the end. So that's about it. So most brewers, especially if you're an all-grain brewer, might be able to find all that stuff sitting in your basement right now. I know I could. The last thing you're going to need is your favorite ale yeast. And I tell people you should always have a pack of dried ale yeast sitting around at home just in case you have some emergency. Say you you spill your starter, you uh, come back to a beer after 48 hours and it really isn't taking off, you're worried about your pitch you know, content for cells, you have that dry yeast to immediately put in there. Take that old dry yeast that you've been using as kind of a backup and use it on this beer, get a fresh one to kind of sit as a reserve. So this could potentially, depending on what you have in your basement, be a free beer. There's just a couple of things you have to keep in mind if you want to call it, you know, an American light beer. 
no strong flavors, or at least no flavors that are predominant <laughs> over any others. I mean, really, flavor is, is something that may be kind of debatable, or, you know, any strong aromas or anything like that. Um, it has to be medium to light body and medium to light in color. You don't want something that's astringently dry, and you don't want something that's full of mouthfeel and kind of starting to get sweet, and kind of like an English premium bitter. Um, it needs to be 5% or under. This is a working man's beer. You need to be able to drink it. Yep. You need to be able to get on with your day. you got to be able to make it to the second half of the football game. So it needs to be under 5%. And the last thing is you have to put it on draft, give it to your friends for free, and then you're going to have a lot of happy house guests. And that's going to be why it may become your favorite beer to brew. So you have a lot of friends now that are really into craft beer. And you used to give them free homebrew. And they would just take it and smile. Mm-hmm. And what happens now? They have opinions, which is good yep. and bad. So brew for a beer for some of those friends who kind of have felt laughed out of the craft beer boon, who don't have strong opinions on their beer. Um, they're just looking for something familiar with some familiar flavors, but like we talked about, not too many flavors. Um, and... They're really going to appreciate it. You're going to see a smile on their face. They're going to come over. They're going to be used to bringing over their own six-pack of their chosen light beer. Um, and you're going to actually have something for them this time, you know, as opposed to the two taps of different IPAs, yeah. you know, Russian Imperial Stout on the last one. And, oh, I got some barley wines and lambics and bottles. It's not too appeasing to the common man. So that's why this beer is so fun. You get to kind of... Show off beer, show off home brewing to people who wouldn't otherwise really have right. a reason to appreciate Seems it. Seems like a good alternative to have if you're going to have uh, two taps. One, your project of the month or whatever you're working mm-hmm. on. And the other, maybe keep rolling with this one. So if you have people over a lot, yeah, it's, uh, you know. Yeah, it's and malleable, I suppose. If you're having over, especially in here in football season, uh, if you're having guests over, and I know I'm a victim of this, it's going to be really cheap to give them that American cream ale, that American light lager, as opposed to have them kill your whole keg of session IPA that you dumped like five ounces of hops into. So you can get them happy friends, good football game. It's not a big 9% IPA. You won't have any house guests staying all the way to the late game. You can get out on time, and you make some folks happy. Very good. And it's cheap. It's very cheap. Which is also nice. Yeah. Okay. You get to brew more. Yeah. You can drink more, more volume. Brew more. All right. So American Light Lagers, you're not going to have a – I mean, when it comes to the BJCP guidelines and the competitions, how often are we seeing these entered into competitions? Often. Every one. Yeah. Okay. Do you, want, do you want to know what? Because there is um, – I, I hate to say that any style is – harder than others but i think it is true especially for new brewers who don't really have a, a, a palate that recognizes a lot of off flavors to lean towards beers that the predominant flavors are something they can just throw in the brew pot um whether that's you know um roasted barley whether that's hops you know, in a stout or in an IPA. And these beers that are slightly off balance, I think are a little easier or a little less uh, scary for a new brewer to beer because it's supposed to be off balance. They're mm-hmm. not suiting for this perfect balance. And I think you see these styles like American Light Lager, like German Pilsner, like English Bitter, um, which really kind of rely on this kind of balance of flavor um, kind of falling by the wayside for new brewers. But if you follow a good recipe, if you don't throw in tons of any one ingredient, 
Um, and you watch, again, all those kind of key kit critical components we always talk about. Sanitizing, make sure you get a good start to your yeast, that you aerate. These beers will be just as easy to do. And they'll be ready a lot faster than the kind of a lot of your other beers. And again, they'll be cheap. You can serve a keg of this for 20 bucks for your friends for the weekend. And that's not bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Can you brew these light beers cheaper than you can buy them? Yes, but not by much. Okay. But still, it's your beer. And again, people who otherwise have maybe never tried one of your beers or never tried one without kind of giving you a little bit of a face will try this and they'll like it. And they may start liking it more than their, uh, their standard light beer. We've got about two and a half minutes left. You have sparge arms. Sparge arm was a question mark here. And the only reason I have this down, if we had a little bit extra time, I wanted to get this. I don't know what's going on, but we've gotten five requests this week for whirly gigs. So if you don't know what a whirly gig is, this looks like an upside-down spinning garden sprinkler. And people used to put these over top of their mash tons because when you would fly sparge, so we batch sparge, you put all the water in, drain it all out. Mm -hmm. Fly sparge, you're putting water into the top as you're taking it off the bottom. Um, not as common as a brewing practice, especially at home anymore. And you still see a lot of brewers do it, but it's time-consuming. And the more modern method is to always keep your grain bed saturated. So before, as we were sparging, we got to the end of the fly sparge, you might actually let the grain bed start to go a little dry. The problem with this is you have channeling. Um, you're not getting submergence. You're leaving a lot of sugar behind. Um, so the kind of we used to see like Listerman and a lot of homemade sparge arms. I know I have a Listerman and I have a homemade sparge arm. I haven't used those in about 10 years. Um, they actually cut your efficiency down. It was hard to get a good flow rate and also get good dispersion because you had to have enough flow rate to get this thing spinning and then it would just fill up your mash tun. Put it to a trickle and it's not spinning, it's just putting all that water straight down the center of the mash. So we've had a lot of people asking about these this week but I guess the short answer is you don't want it, nor do you need it. Okay. You should be trying to maintain a level of water about one inch over top of the grain when you're sparging if you're fly sparging. That's why we see the auto sparge. It puts the water right into a hose at the top of the mash tun and just whirlpools it around and has a little float that keeps that one inch above the grain bed for you. Um, not necessary, but it definitely is helpful if you're fly sparging. The whirly gigs, those different sparge arms or like sprinklers you put on top of the mash, never really worked. All right. Um, so if you're searching for one, don't bother. Just get a little hose and be all set. Good to know. Yeah. All right, that's it for us. Niagara Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Saturday, November 4th is Learn to Homebrew Day. Tickets on sale at nthomebrew.com for the beginner's brewing demo uh and tasting and demo is at 1:30. that one you don't need tickets to you tickets, don't need tickets tickets to the 11 a.m demo 1 30 you're good to go yeah and if you don't have beer for the tasting you don't have to bring in beer for the tasting we'll have more than enough beer to throw at very you. good that's two weeks that's november 4th uh of course at niagara traditions just brew it that's it for this, us this week same time next week any episode on demand at wgr550.com or espn 1520 you've been listening to just brew it brought to you by niagara tradition homebrew whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started visit them at 1296 sheridan drive in tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of just brew it